Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Kol Nidre is about vows. Vows made when Jews were forced to accept Jesus or be exiled or killed. Such vows are not legitimate. Yet we all think or wonder if we are willing to die for the truth. Maybe we think we are willing. If you knew that you could stay in your home with your family, keep your job, maybe someday see your children's children, and all you have to do is say some words and let them sprinkle some water on you, lives are at stake, you probably don't know what you would actually do. What if your family were threatened? Would you take the vow or let them die? How many people know the story of Paul Young Hee Cho who founded a church in Seoul, Korea? The site where he founded the church was the site of a huge massacre. They gathered all the Christians that were in the town. They put them in a circle. The men in the middle, the women on the outside. And they told the women, if you will renounce Jesus, you all may live. And the men cried out, don't do it. They were all killed. And Paul Young Cho founded his church, the largest church in the world, hundreds of thousands of members on that site. If my family were threatened, I don't know what I would do. The fact is that Yom Kippur does not absolve us of vows made to other human beings. It only absolves us of vows made to Hashem. A forced conversion would be an example of a vow made to Hashem. There are other vows made to him as described in number six, <clears throat> it's too long to read, but it involves abstinence from grapes, not shaving the head, not being near a corpse. On the eighth day, you would shave your head, you would hold on to the hair because you would bring it to the priest <clears throat> along with 
a year old male lamb, a year old female lamb, one ram, a basket of matzah, unleavened wafers spread with olive oil, drink offerings, and you bring them to the priest, the Kohen. You would burn the hair, you would sacrifice, and that would be the fulfillment of your vow. In other words, a vow costs something, and a person is not released from their vow until it is fulfilled. What does Yeshua have to say about vows? Again, you have heard that your fathers were told. This is from Matthew 5. Do not break your oath. Keep your vows to Adonai. But I tell you not to swear at all. Not by heaven because it is God's throne. Not by the earth because it is his footstool. And not by Yerushalayim because it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head because you can't make a single hair white or black unless you go to the hairdresser that's another story but we're, he didn't refer to that just let your yes be a simple yes and your no a simple no anything more than this has its origin in evil some people whether wonder whether Paul was ignoring Yeshua's words because in Acts 21 in order to prove that the rumors about him were false the rumors said that he was teaching Jews among the Gentiles to depart from the teachings of Moses not to circumcise their sons not to follow the traditions but in order to prove these things false, Paul was urged by James to go purify himself with some men who had taken a Nazarite vow, like the one in number six, and pay the costs for having their heads shaved, meaning to end their vow. If Paul had been teaching that Jews didn't have to circumcise their sons, if he had been teaching to abandon the ways of Moses, if he had been teaching to not stay with the traditions, this would be a good time for him to rebuke James and say, James, don't you know, we don't have to do that stuff anymore. We've got Yeshua. But instead, he went and he joined those who had taken a vow, demonstrating that he upheld the keeping of vows. But Yeshua said, don't make vows at all. There's got to be a resolution here somewhere. Why couldn't the men be released from the vows by claiming that Yeshua told them not to make a vow? But in reality, Yeshua's words were more binding than this. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
So if you say you're going to do something, that's what you do. You don't have to make a vow. It's still binding. You don't have to say you're not going to do something. It's still binding. And if you do it, you've sinned. Or if you don't do what you vowed, you've sinned. It's a great practice to learn how to let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's a discipline. It takes effort. It takes practice. You're going to blow it sometimes. You're going to say something and then not fulfill it. Of course, we know that all sin, all have fallen short. Anyone who says he doesn't is a liar. The truth's not in him. But if you sin, confess your sins. And God, who is faithful and just, will forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. But that's how we learn. We grow. We do better. We repent. We change our ways. We think differently. We think before we speak. Have you been reckless with your words? Why do we observe Yom Kippur? We do it because it's who we are. It's what we do. Not only is the observance commanded in Scripture, but not observing would be more objectionable than a Christian not observing Christmas. And that would be objectionable, right? Even if our tradition had not developed strong and lasting customs around the observance of Yom Kippur, this is the Siddur for Yom Kippur. This is what you read on Yom Kippur. Some of it in the synagogue, some of it on your own, but it's a whole book. We've developed some customs and traditions around Yom Kippur. But even if our tradition had not, we would still be obliged to observe this day. As Messianic Jews, we observe the day in the awareness of Yeshua's encouraging presence. His Ruach speaking into the innermost motivations of our lives, scourging iniquity, destroying deceptive beliefs, uncovering secret sins, strengthening our character. I once remember a person telling me about a church they attended where they had a strong word of prophecy and where people would stand up in the middle of the service and say, you're in adultery, and it would be true because it was revealed by the Lord. I said, I hope I don't end up there. Oh my gosh. But having your sins revealed will strengthen your character. I know. Anyone who knows Yeshua knows that we still, as believers, are tempted to please ourselves, to win approval from others, to store up treasures on earth, 
We lambast the driver who cut us off on the highway, or the restaurant server who refuses to check to see whether we need more water, and the boss who demands performance for things that were not in our job description. The point is that we have Yeshua, but this doesn't mean that we should do less, observe less, or ignore the commandment to gather on the 10th day of the seventh month. As a people, we gather and we pray, and we afflict our souls. They say you're not supposed to wear leather on Yom Kippur. That's one of the traditions. So leather is supposed to be a nice, comfortable shoe. I've got my tennis shoes on. They're a lot more comfortable than my leather shoes, but I'm not wearing leather. Not sure how that works. We afflict our souls. What, what made me think of my shoes? Oh, I know, our souls. And we seek a music. <laughs> and we seek atonement for ourselves, for our community, for our people, for our nation, and for the world. On a Yom Kippur to come, we will see the king atoning, demonstrating that he has forgiven all, that all the dead will rise, the just and the unjust will rise to judgment, and the judge will be sitting on his throne in Yerushalayim on that day. Amen.